Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Let me invite you to turn with me in your copy of Scripture to Galatians chapter 3. While you make your way over there, I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity uh, to worship here with you all this morning and to open up God's Word with you. Uh, as, as was mentioned, my wife and our two little boys are here, and so we just want to thank you for welcoming us um, at Park Hills Baptist Church this morning. And uh, I bring you greetings from the brothers and sisters at High Point Baptist Church located uh, in Austin. We want you to know that uh, we are thankful for your church because we know that the gospel is believed here and it is preached here uh, faithfully. And we want you to know that we pray for you and your church regularly. Let's begin our time together this morning by uh, reading scripture. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 and uh, we'll begin starting in verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was portrayed, was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the joy we have to hear from you. So, Father, we ask you, would you speak to us this morning? Holy Spirit, would you give us understanding of what we read? Would you use this text to to warn those who need to be warned? to encourage those who need to be encouraged and to build up. Father, we thank you for Christ, and we ask that you would keep our eyes fixed on him and cause us to live by faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1993, the Buffalo Bills and the Houston Oilers met in the NFL playoffs in the AFC wildcard game. Some of you, I'm sure, remember the game. Others of you may have seen highlights of it, even though it was before your time. That game is still referred to as the comeback, although I hear that a lot of Oilers fans still refer to it, or people in Houston, as the Oilers no longer exist, refer to it as the choke. Warren Moon led the Oilers to a 27-3 lead at the half. The Oilers did everything right in the first half. They were cruising along. They even came out after the first half and added another score to make it 35-3. At that point, people left the game in droves, thinking it was over, but it wasn't. The Bills came all the way back and kicked a field goal in overtime to beat the Oilers by a score of 41-38. to I was young at the time, but I grew up a huge sports fan, and I can remember just being beside myself. I wasn't even an Oilers fan, I was a Cowboys fan. But I remember just thinking, how can you start off so well and then just collapse like that in the end? In sports, as well as in life, we know that you can get off to a really good start and still not finish well in the end. 
And as tragic as that collapse was for Houston fans, I'm sure, we know it's far more tragic when someone doesn't finish their life well. Sadly, some of you may know someone who seemed to get off to a great start. They appeared to come to faith in Christ. They even appeared to be zealous for a season. But then they later walked away. As we enter into a time this next week where many of us will be thinking about new starts and fresh starts and a new year, I want to encourage you to continue to do that. But I also want to direct our attention this morning uh, towards the end and finishing well. As we turn our attention to the Galatians, we know that they got off to a really good start. Paul preached the gospel to them. They believed and put their faith in Christ. But then they began believing the false teachers who were trying to lead them astray. And at this point in the letter to the Galatians, it's clear that the Galatians were being deceived and were veering off in a dangerous direction. And Paul's concern in this text we're looking at this morning is that they finish well. So he writes in hopes of rescuing them. And his message is every bit as important for us as it was for the Galatians. So in today's text, Paul will remind them and us that from beginning to end, the Christian life is lived by faith. And it's as if Paul is saying, you began with faith, so you must now continue with faith. So look with me again at verse 1 of Galatians 3, where we will see, first of all, that Paul tells the Galatians to remember how you began. To remember how you began. He says, you'll see Paul begins with a rather direct greeting. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Uh, If you're familiar at all with Galatians, you know that Paul began this letter in chapter 1 with a, a sense of great urgency. He said he was astonished that they were so quickly deserting the gospel and turning to a different gospel. Paul knew that the Galatians were in danger. But since those opening verses, Paul has spent most of his time defending his authority as an apostle and defending his gospel, which he received directly from Jesus Christ. And now that Paul has made his case in the first two chapters and proven to them that his authority and his gospel are the real deal, he moves on now to chapter 3 where he begins to unpack his theology a bit. And as he transitions now, here in chapter 3, he begins once again by expressing concern and bewilderment at the current state of affairs. And he calls them foolish. That might sound rude to us. But remember, he's speaking to them as a father speaks to one of his children when they are in danger. We all understand that when we can see someone is headed for danger, the loving thing to do is not to stand back and watch and see what happens, but to actually try to help them. My wife was driving on a back road a few months ago, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, the, the little boys, our two little boys were actually in the back seat, and out of, out of nowhere, she just sees a car going about 60, veer off the road, go down through a ditch, and then just continue on into the pasture. Uh, the car actually drove through a small pasture and cleared a tree line before it eventually came to a stop. My wife was one of the only ones to witness it uh, actually happening, so she parked and quickly ran over to go check on the driver while another driver called 911. Thankfully, it appeared the person only suffered a few minor cuts and and scratches. Uh, But as my wife witnessed that happening in real time, she felt incredibly helpless. She wanted to scream 
or honk her horn or wave her arms or do whatever she could to get that person's attention and wake them up before they eventually crashed. When you read Paul's letter to the Galatians, specifically chapter 3, you get the sense that he's desperately trying to wake these people up. And just as a loving father will speak sternly and directly to a child who's veering off into danger, so Paul speaks to the Galatians in the same way. Paul's saying the direction you're headed is foolish. It's dangerous and you need to heed my voice before it's too late. I think sometimes we Christians forget what true biblical love actually looks like. It's very different from what the world would have us believe. Biblical love is willing to confront sin and error in the hopes that someone would heed our voice and be called back. Be called back to truth and to safety. You'll notice after he calls them foolish, he asks them, who has bewitched you? It's another way of putting this. It would be, who has cast you under their spell? Or who, who has tricked you? Paul doesn't think the Galatians are lacking intelligence. He's not calling them stupid. He thinks they're being deceived. Paul continues, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Upon first reading, we might think what Paul was saying was that the Galatians saw Jesus' crucifixion take place, but we actually know that's not the case. None of them would have witnessed it. Paul is referring here to his preaching of the gospel to the Galatians. When Paul preached the gospel to them, he vividly portrayed the gospel. He preached with power so that the death of Christ was heard and understood. The gospel was made very clear to them, and it came alive in his preaching before them. And again, this ties into their foolishness and into the fact that they are being deceived. For Paul preached the gospel to them. He saw and heard how they responded to it. And now they seem to have forgotten it or are looking for something more. And you'll notice Paul moves into a series of questions. They're rhetorical questions where they, the answers are so straightforward he doesn't even need to supply the answers. Paul's questions are all really after one thing. He wants them to take a look at their own lives and remember how they were saved. So beginning in verse 2, Paul says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? or by hearing with faith. Paul takes them back to the beginning of their Christian lives, and he says, how did you begin as a Christian? We know he's referring to when they became Christians, because he asks, how did you receive the Spirit? Notice Paul assumes here that the Spirit is given immediately when someone puts their faith in Christ. This is because everyone who is a Christian receives the Spirit when they trust in Christ. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God. That happened when you, when you became a Christian, when you were saved. So Paul is affirming that they have in fact received the Spirit, and he asks, how did you receive it? Was it by faith, or did you receive the Spirit by works? What Paul is getting at here is one of the central points he makes throughout Galatians. And here he asks them, did you do anything to earn your salvation? Or did you simply put your faith in Christ? And the implied obvious answer is that it was by faith and not by works. Paul preached the gospel to them. They were saved through faith in Christ and they received the Spirit. Paul knew it and they knew it. So he's saying, wake up. Just look at your life. 
you need to remember how you started off in the Christian life. It was not by works. It was never by works. It was by faith. And if calling them foolish the first time wasn't quite enough, Paul does it a second time in verse 3. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? When I was about 16 or 17 years old, I had just gotten my driver's license. And like a lot of teenagers who get behind the wheel, I sometimes drove like an idiot. I remember one evening driving through a nice neighborhood and thinking it would be fun to just go around behind the homes and drive down their alleyway. So I made my way over there into the alley, and then I just floored it. Wouldn't you know, one of my dad's friends from church was actually taking his trash out uh, to the dumpsters behind his house. He saw me, he flagged me down as I was about to just fly by him, and against my better judgment, I stopped my truck and rolled the window down. And he started firing off one question right after another. What in the world do you think you're doing? Do you have any idea how fast you're driving right now? Why are you acting so foolish? Are you actually trying to get somebody killed right now? He was trying to get my attention, and he succeeded. I never drove down that alleyway ever again. I may have driven fast down other roads and streets, but I never sped down that alleyway ever again. I assume Paul already has their attention here. He's now called them foolish for the second time. And his questions, one right after the other, are, are intended to grab their attention. Don't miss the fact that his questions are intended to teach them something. Like any good teacher, he's asking questions in order to help them and to remind them of important truths. He's concerned that after getting off to a good start, they are now in danger of just throwing it all away. Paul is seeking to help the Galatians understand. They began the Christian life by faith. Through faith in Christ, they received the Spirit. So it makes no sense whatsoever to start relying on their works, namely circumcision. It makes no sense to put down the faith that got them here and decide that now your own efforts are going to carry you the rest of the way. Most of us here in this room this morning believe that salvation comes only through faith in Christ. We believe that we cannot earn our salvation. But when it comes to sanctification, to our growth as Christians into greater Christ-likeness, I'm not so sure that's always quite as clear to us. Some of us may still wonder, does, does God sanctify me? Do I contribute to that in some way? What Paul is arguing here is that we are not only saved through faith, we are also sanctified through faith. Now, that doesn't mean that we just sit back and do nothing and say, well, God's going to sanctify me. It's up to him, so I'm not going to do anything. No, we, we read our Bibles. We meet with other believers. We attend classes that help us to grow. We pray and we ask God to sanctify us. Like Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, we want to be able to say, I worked hard, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Even though we work hard, that doesn't change the fact that our lives as Christians from beginning to end are by faith. We must never stop living in dependence upon the Spirit. We must never take our eyes off of Christ, which means no one will ever reach a point in the Christian life where they are so godly or so mature that they need to move on from the gospel. The Christian must continually return back to the gospel 
over and over again, day after day for the rest of their lives. The gospel doesn't just get us saved. It sustains us until our last breath. And some of us need to be reminded of that. I would just challenge you this morning. It could be that you're thinking you've been a Christian for long enough that you've graduated on to more important or more advanced truths. It could be that you've fallen into a trap not too different from that of the Galatians. Having been saved through faith in Christ, are you now believing you need something else in order to grow you in Christ? Paul is warning the Galatians not to move on from the gospel, and we should heed his warning. Paul continues in verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Paul seems to refer to ways in which they actually suffered for Christ. Perhaps simply for identifying as Christians, they endured some forms of persecution. Maybe they even lost friends or family when they became followers of Jesus. And Paul is saying, was all of that for nothing? As Christians, we believe that God has good purposes for everything in our lives, even our suffering. We don't expect that we will always know what those purposes are, but at the very least, we know that through trials and hardships, he is making us more like Christ. Here he's saying, if you abandon the gospel, if you walk away from the faith, that suffering you endured, it was for nothing. It was in vain if you walk away from Christ. But notice Paul isn't willing to make a final call on where they stand at this point. He's actually been pretty clear about their start. He said they began by receiving the Spirit. Paul believes he is writing to Christians who are in serious danger. And here he poses the question, did you suffer so many things in vain? But then he qualifies that, if indeed it was in vain. There still seems to be hope, in other words. Paul sure hoped their suffering wasn't in vain. That's why he's writing to them to see them return to the gospel. Paul reminds them once more in verse 5 that they have the Spirit because of faith in Christ. He says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul continues to refer to the fact that they've received the Spirit, but here he's more focused on the ongoing work of the Spirit in their lives. And his point remains the same. They've received the Spirit because they have faith in Christ. They had been saved by grace through faith in Christ, and so Paul says, remember how you started. You began the Christian life by faith. Let me ask you this morning, how did you begin? Where were you, where were you at when God first rescued you from your sins? Some of us were rescued out of outright rebellion. This was my story. When God saved me, my life had become such a horrendous mess. For years, I had just dragged myself and everyone else around me through the mud by living for this world and pursuing the things of this world. And God orchestrated events in my life, one thing after another, as he went after me and saved me. And I knew it wasn't my good works that led to my salvation because there was no longer anything left in my life that I could point to that was good that I was doing. Some of you, I'm sure, have somewhat of a similar story. Others of us were rescued out of morality. Your parents were Christians, so you thought you were a Christian. 
you grew up in the church. You were doing all of the right things, like going to church, hanging out with other Christians. You also learned how to avoid all of the things that Christians were supposed to avoid. But you had zero life. You didn't have Christ. All of it was in your own strength. So God found you in your morality, relying upon your own performance, and Christ invaded your life, and he saved you. See, none of us earned our salvation. We all needed Christ to invade our lives. And that moment that we became part of God's family by faith is marked by the fact that we received the Spirit of God. Paul says, remember how you started, Galatians. You began the Christian life by faith. But now, Paul wants to take the Galatians even further back in time. Now he's going to point them back in their history to their forefather in the faith. And in verses 6 and 7, Paul says, remember Abraham's example. Let's pick back up in verse 5 again. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Paul has already pointed them back to their own experience of being justified through faith. And now he brings out Father Abraham as his next witness. Remember, what Paul is doing is countering the claims of the Judaizers who were telling the Galatians, faith in Christ is great, but you also need to live as Jews if you want to remain acceptable to God. These were the false teachers in the church who had crept in, and they were wanting to add things to Jesus. They were saying, Jesus, yes, but you also need other things if you want to remain acceptable. You need to live as Jews. So Paul brings out Abraham, the father of the Jews. Abraham is their great ancestor. The people of Israel began with Abraham. And Paul's going to prove to them that they are being deceived by pointing back to Abraham. So in verse 6, Paul says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul here is quoting from the text that was read earlier from Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. In those verses, we read that God had promised Abraham a son. And it would only make sense if Abraham had some difficulty imagining where this promised son was going to come from. Because Abraham was a very old man, and his wife was a very old woman. And their days of having kids had passed them by many, many years ago. And even in their younger days, they were never able to have children. So God takes Abraham out under the night sky. I imagine the sky was filled with stars that night, much like it would be if you drove out out of the city and into the countryside somewhere. Then God tells Abraham to look up at the sky and to count the stars. And while Abraham has his eyes fixed on the stars in the sky, God tells him, so shall your offspring be. Now, if you picture a starry sky, that's, that's a lot of offspring. And if I put myself in Abraham's shoes, I might be wondering how I'm going to get from zero offspring to a zillion. That seems pretty unlikely. God promised Abraham that he would have more descendants than he could count, and Abraham responded to that promise the way we should always respond to God. He believed God even though he probably could not imagine a single scenario by which that promise could actually come to fruition, Abraham trusted in the faithfulness of God. 
God made Abraham a promise. Abraham believed God and were told that it was counted to him as righteous as righteousness. See, Abraham wasn't righteous, but God declared him righteous. He was justified through faith. Do you hear Paul's point in this and what he's trying to argue to his beloved Galatians? The false teachers want to say that you need to be circumcised, that you need to live as a Jew in order to be justified. But Paul would say, look at Abraham. Was Abraham justified when he was circumcised? The answer is no. Paul is telling the Galatians, Abraham was justified through faith just like you were. And yes, Abraham would eventually be circumcised, but that doesn't happen until 14 years later. Abraham's justification didn't come when he was circumcised. It came before that. It came when he believed God. Abraham wasn't justified through keeping the law either. When God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness, the law hadn't even been given yet. So it wasn't through observing the law, it wasn't through his good works that God justified him. What these false teachers were telling the Galatians simply didn't line up with the scriptures. And this is why reading the Bible for ourselves and understanding what the Bible actually teaches is so important. Children are often told in school to to put their thinking caps on. Well, we don't need to take our thinking caps off and set them aside when we become Christians. Paul here is using reason. He's reasoning from the scriptures to show the Galatians what they're telling you is wrong. Stop being foolish and look at your own scriptures and you'll see it for yourself. It's right here. Paul then adds in verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The sons of Abraham basically just means the people of God. And that's what the major issue in Galatians has been all about. How does someone become accepted into the people of God? The false teachers were insisting that one needed to become a Jew in order to be accepted by God. And Paul has emphatically said, no, it's only by faith. This is an amazing argument that Paul is making as he appeals to the Galatians to wake up and to see that they are being deceived. What they're being taught simply isn't true. Now, responding to the promises of God in faith isn't always the easiest thing for us to do, is it? Especially when we're suffering, or even if we're just having to wait. That's what Abraham was faced with. He was being promised something that he would have to wait for, wait for God to deliver. And it's not like Abraham saw circumstances in his life lining up such that he was able to look and see, okay, God, I see what you're doing here. No, he was an old man. God's promise didn't make any sense whatsoever from a human perspective. Abraham was a man of faith, but his faith also wavered at times. Like all other people in Scripture not named Jesus, the Bible goes out of its way to show us Abraham's flaws. Just read a few chapters before Genesis 15 and a few chapters after Genesis 15, and you'll be reminded that Abraham wasn't so different from you and me. And we're reminded that our faith isn't required to be perfect. The object of our faith is what matters. If we believe God, if our faith is in Christ, then God declares us righteous just like Abraham. I'm sure some of us are struggling to believe the promises of God right now. I'm sure some of you would say, 
I'm struggling to believe that God really loves me, that Christ really died for me, that the Holy Spirit really lives inside of me, that I've really been forgiven of all of my sins, that God is really working all things together for my good, that God is really growing me and making me more like Jesus, that someday he will wipe away every tear from my eyes, that where we are headed, we will not get sick, we will not lose people we love, no one else will die, that my heart will never break again, and that I will never sin again. Some of us might be struggling to believe that a day is coming when my faith will finally be sight. What we must remember at all times is that God is always faithful. Unlike us, he always keeps his word. Our faith isn't in a God who is fickle. Our faith is in a God who is faithful and true. We should be encouraged by Abraham's life to believe God and to take him at his word, even when his promises don't seem possible to us. But we should also be encouraged from Abraham's life that God loves to save sinners through faith, even if that faith is sometimes small. Justification through faith has always been the way that people have been saved. The Galatians didn't need to be circumcised or to observe any of the Jewish customs in order to be accepted into God's family. They were accepted into God's family the moment they put their faith in Christ, just like Abraham. So Paul's argument started off by reminding them of how they became Christians, reminding them that he preached Christ to them and they believed. And when they believed, they were justified. They were accepted into the family of God through faith alone, apart from works of the law. As further proof, they were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. All of this was only possible because of their faith in Christ. But secondly, Paul has argued that if you look back at your Old Testament scriptures and you look back at Abraham, he too was justified by faith alone. That's how people are made right with God. So it's foolish then, Paul is saying, to begin your Christian life by faith than to run back to the law. Even Abraham was declared righteous because he believed God's promise. Now finally, in verses 8 and 9, Paul will tell the Galatians to remember how the nations are blessed. To remember how the nations are blessed. Let's pick back up in verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying... In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Here Paul quotes from Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, where he tells Abraham this. He says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The false teachers were telling the Galatians they needed more in order to become part of God's family. In their view, you had to become a son of Abraham in order to be part of God's family. And they were teaching this meant you had to be circumcised. In other words, you had to become a Jew in order to become a son of Abraham. Paul argues in verse 8 that God preached the gospel to Abraham, looking forward to when Christ would come, 
knowing that the Gentiles would be saved by faith. Look at verse 8 again. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Paul explains that God's plan has always been not just to justify, not just to save the Jews, but to save the Gentiles as well, to bless all the nations through Abraham. And this blessing of right standing with God comes only through faith, whether Jew or Gentile. So Paul argues that the Galatians are already of children of Abraham by faith, and therefore they continue as children of Abraham by faith. And this blessing, I hope you can see the, the scope and the magnitude of God's promise to Abraham to bless all the nations through him. On one hand, us here in this room, we've been saved through, because through Abraham, God has blessed the nations through Abraham's seed and the gospel has reached all the way to the ends of the earth, even to us. But on the other hand, we are to continue to look outward from ourselves, to look to other nations, to long to see lost people come to faith in Christ. We've received the blessing of justification, but that blessing isn't meant to stay only with us. We should desire that God would, would use us to carry this blessing to others. In verse 5, Paul says to the Galatians, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul's implied answer there is that they received the Spirit because they heard. They heard with faith. And if people are going to hear with faith, they must hear this message about the promise that they can have right standing with God. So we must go out. And we must take this gospel to the nations and portray Christ as crucified so that people who don't know Christ can hear of Christ and can receive God's blessing through faith. God's heart has always been for the nations. So we must ask him to give us that same heart lest we become focused only on ourselves. See, God doesn't just save people from certain types of families or from certain types of backgrounds or from certain parts of the world. The promise of God's blessing through Abraham is for all peoples. God saves Jews and he saves Gentiles. He saves college students and he saves retirees. He saves people who are wealthy and people who are homeless. He saves people who have never been to church and people who have been in church all of their lives. He saves drug addicts, and he saves homeschool kids. He saves terrorists like the Apostle Paul, and he saves people like us. He saves Americans, he saves North Koreans, and he saves Nigerians. Everyone who has ever been saved has been saved by faith. That's why we must go out and preach this gospel to all people everywhere without distinction. So Paul reminds the Galatians, you were saved by faith. Father Abraham was saved by faith. The nations will be saved by faith. It's all by faith. You have begun with faith, so you must continue to live by faith. And anyone who departs from faith and begins relying on their own works to make them right with God is on a very dangerous path. One of the hardest and most painful things pastors do is care for members who are being led astray. There's nothing more heartbreaking to watch unfold. But when that happens, what pastors do is they reach out and they say, 
don't you remember? You heard the gospel and you came to faith in Christ. You realized that you could do nothing to save yourself but throw yourself on the grace and mercy of God who sent his only son to die for you. We watched you believe God by the power of the Spirit giving you eyes to see you trusted Christ. And now you're thinking about throwing it all away? You're seeking to gain acceptance by your own efforts? You're going back to that? That's what you were saved out of. So out of love, pastors reach out to warn them and to plead with them and remind them that they need to keep their eyes on him and keep trusting in him. This is something your pastors do, but let me remind you, this also has implications for the congregation. Look at how Paul addresses them in verse 1. What does he say? He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Paul doesn't just write to the pastors of the church and say, what's wrong with you? How could you let this happen in your church? No, he writes to the church, to the entire congregation. The whole church is ultimately responsible when when the church starts to abandon the gospel. It's up to all of the members of the church to care for one another, to watch out for one another, and also to make sure the gospel is faithfully preached and held central. It's a good thing to look back and to remember how God saved you and to give him thanks for pursuing you and justifying you through faith. It's good to remind yourself that you were justified when you put your faith in Christ. But it's also good to simply ask yourself, am I trusting in Christ right now? If you are, you have faith and you have been justified and you're a son or a daughter of Abraham, a child of God. So for all of us, we must remember that we have begun with faith and we must continue to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. See, in his mercy, God uses warnings in order to preserve his people in the truth, to persevere his people in the truth. But he also uses promises. He reminds us of his love for us. He reminds us that the gospel came to us, that he gave us faith, that he sealed us with the Holy Spirit. He reminds us of truths from Scripture, of how he's saving a people for himself from every nation, including us, if we continue to live by faith and persevere until the end. Before I close, I just want to leave you with three brief applications from this text to spur us on to finish well. Number one, remind yourself of the gospel every single day. Remind yourself of the gospel every single day. Another way of saying this is to preach the gospel to yourself. We live in a world where we will have many different voices seeking to get our attention, whether they be movies, TV shows, music that we listen to, people that we hang out with, or Satan himself. We may have many different voices telling us that there's something better, something else that we need other than Jesus. So I must daily remind myself that I am a sinner in need of a Savior, that God loved me so much that he sent his only son to die for my sins, and that through Christ God has supplied me with greater riches than I will ever find anywhere else because my sins have been forgiven and I have Christ. Secondly, give someone permission to speak into your life for the sake of your soul. Give someone permission to speak into your life for the sake of your soul. 
let me encourage you, if you don't have someone who can speak into your life, if they see you veering off in a dangerous direction, I would pray and ask the Lord to provide someone in your life that can speak the truth and love to you and whom you can do the same for. And let your pastors know if you need help. It is vital not to live the Christian life alone. We all need help. And number three, remind one another that just as you began in the faith, so too must you continue in the faith. Remind one another that just as you began in the faith, so too must you continue in the faith. In your relationships, encourage one another by reminding each other that Christ loved you and gave himself up for you. Remind each other to press on and to live by faith. And remind each other that God keeps all of his children safe in the palm of his hand. If he has saved us, nothing can snatch us out of his hand. He will keep us for all of eternity. And pray for each other. Pray for the people you have close relationships. And pray for all of the members of the church. And pray for your pastors. Pray that all of us would continue to live by faith just as we started by faith. Pray that all of us would be able to say with Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let me close by reading lyrics from the song we'll sing in just a moment called By Faith. It says, We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our soul's reward. Till the race is finished and the work is done, we'll walk by faith and not by sight. Let me pray.